here in person. Welcome to you guys, and also uh, welcome to everybody who's watching online, and also welcome to everybody who might be listening in the parking lot. So we're doing it three different ways, and so hope you guys all uh, will enjoy the service, and thank you for tuning in wherever you're at. And uh, also, do we have anybody in the building that is uh, military? Anybody military? Do you mind standing up? Military? One, two, three, four, five, six. Thank you guys for your service. And uh, we're here to celebrate, of course, uh, more so our freedom from Christ and uh, what he's done for us. These guys and other men who have given sacrifices to give us the freedoms that we have to be able to, to live in a free country this way. Uh, but here at East Taylorsville, we are here to celebrate the sacrifice that Jesus made for us so that we could experience freedom from sin. And uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let's thank him for our country and thank him for his sacrifice that he made for us so that we can be free from sin. Lord, we come to you this morning. We're so thankful for this opportunity just to be here uh, in person to meet God. We thank you uh, for the opportunity to meet uh, freely, Lord, in a free country. Lord, that did not come uh, free at all, though, Lord. It was come from, from men and women who have died before us. And, Lord, uh, those who are currently serving right now, Lord, we ask that you would just protect them as they are uh, in service, God. And, um, Lord, we are most thankful, Lord, for the sacrifice that you made for us. Lord, you sent your son. He came and lived the perfect life, Lord. And he went and bore the cross uh, on behalf of us, Lord. He paid a debt that we could not pay so that we could be free from sin, Lord, and we could live uh, free, Lord, with you. And, uh, Lord, help us to uh, live a life that's worthy uh, of the sacrifice that was made um, by your son. And, Lord, we just ask that you be with us as we continue on in this service, Lord. We ask that you would uh, bring your spirit, God, and, and lead God and direct us, Lord. And, Lord, you'd uh, hide Jamie behind the cross as he brings us another message, Lord, about the gospel. And, uh, Lord, help us to, to live, again, a life worthy of the freedoms that we've been given uh, through the sacrifices that have been made for us. So we ask this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can stand up. We're going to sing a couple patriotic songs.
Good morning. I hope you've had a, a great 4th of July. I can never forget it because our youngest son, Trent, was born on that day. He turned 22 yesterday, and we celebrated that. This morning, we want to remember the Harry Johnson family. He passed away Friday, I believe it was, yesterday. So let's remember him and pray for their family, and we'll give you those arrangements in the near future. Uh, this morning, we want to take time and pray for a young lady, Allie, and she's going to come up in just a few minutes and share a little bit. But Allie is from Savu, Romania, with uh, Finding Hope Ministries. I met Allie back in 2016, four years ago. She was in a state-run orphanage. And those of you who've been there and seen that, you know. And uh, so Nathan and Anka, uh, they began to pray for her, and they worked two and a half years in the court system, and they were praying that they, she would be able to come to Finding Hope. Well, guess what? She came to Finding Hope, and then last summer, we had the privilege to bring Allie to America, where she lives with Lisa and Kevin Powell. And she finished her senior year this year. So let's give her a hand of congratulations. And she's going to come up. And what we want to do this morning, we, wanna, we want her to share a little bit. And then we want to have a special prayer for her. She's going back this week. Is that correct? Thursday. So we want to pray for her as she goes back home that God would use her greatly. She, be, she became a Christian a year or so ago. And we're so proud of her. Allie, you'll come up and share and, and Lisa and, and Kevin, you'll come up, and then we're going to have prayer for Allie. Everybody, y'all can be seated. Uh, good morning, guys. Um, I just want to thank you for having me here this year and for welcoming me in your church and take me as your family. It um, was very hard at the beginning when I first come here. I didn't want to come. I mean, I want to, but I didn't. I was, <laughs> I was confused because I was missing my family. I was very homesick, and uh, I'm almost giving up, and I was like, I want to go back. I couldn't make it, but um, I didn't give up because I had Jesus, and he was right by my side. So. <laughs> um. He's been so, um, sorry, he's been so good with me um, this year, and um, he didn't let me give up, so I'm so proud that I didn't give up, because um, I, gained, um, I gained so much this year, and um, I grow so much in relationship with him, and uh, I become more stronger and more powerful and my faith is grow up and I don't regret that this was the best decision I could have take so um, I just want to thank you for supporting us and for supporting Finding Hope um, you are a great supporter uh, we couldn't make it without you and without your prayers and without your support um, so you are a very need for Finding Hope so I am thankful guys for that if not for you, we couldn't make it, and we couldn't become Christian. I couldn't be a Christian. I couldn't be a follower of Christ. So because your support and your prayers, those kids can give them hearts to Christ. So this was the best year for me. I am very glad to be here with you guys. Thank you for having me. And I want to especially thank you, Kevin and Lisa Favre. <laughs> 
um, for um, um, taking care of me this year. Um, sorry. Um, um, I surely give them a hard time, bless them hearts, but uh, um, they are still alive. They didn't die, <laughs> not yet. So thank you guys, I really appreciate. I will do miss you, but uh, I'm sure we will come back. So just thank you and keep us in our, your prayers. Thank you. Thank you, Allie. We're going to pray for her now. If you'll stay up here. And uh, God has answered prayer. When Nathan and Anka was praying for her, this is answered prayer. And what she probably doesn't know, they're praying that she'll return back to America and go to college here. I told Allie, I said, God is really working in your life. Four years ago, you were in a state-run orphanage. Now you're in Finding Hope. Now you're in America. She wanted to go back home, and she got off that plane. You see, God's working in her life. She became a Christian. You've heard her own testimony. It's because of your giving, and a lot of you are going and giving of yourself to make this possible. Let's pray for her that God would just use her in a great and mighty way as she returns back home. Father, I thank you for Allie. I thank you for her life. Lord, you have set her aside for such a time as this. Lord, to go back to her own people, to share Jesus. And Lord, you've put things in her heart these last four years. You've answered prayer. Lord, you've opened doors of opportunity. Lord, you rescued her from that institution. And Lord, you've given her Christ. Lord, she loves you. And we pray you'd protect her. We pray that you'd put your divine presence in her life in such a way that, Lord, that you'd push back the evil one as, Lord, she goes out to live for you and to serve you. Lord, thank you for Kevin, for Lisa, for opening their home this last year. Lord, to give her a good place to be. Lord, I pray you direct and order every step that she has in life. Lord, bless her. And, Lord, we want to thank you this morning that you're a God who hears and answers prayer. Lord, we want to thank you for the freedoms that we have in America. Lord, they don't have all of those things back in Romania. And Father, we want to thank you for the freedoms that we enjoy this morning. And Lord, that we can celebrate that this day. And Lord, we want to thank you for this, the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus that gives us hope for now and forever. Lord, bless Allie. Meet her every need. God, every bend of the road, every turn, I pray you would walk with her and stand with her all the days of her life. Use her for your benefit and for your honor and for your glory and for the fulfillment of your kingdom that Christ might be exalted. In Jesus' name we pray.
Thank you, Caitlin. Was that not a blessing? And I want to thank Allie, Lisa Powell, Kevin Powell. Uh, has it not been a blessing to have Allie as a part of our church this past year? Thank you so much. Uh, the fact that you come to know Christ, you're baptized here, honored to be your pastor this past year. Is she not a wonderful speaker? I mean, at your age, for a young person to speak as well as you do, it's a blessing. Uh, very eloquent, very professional. Uh, I would just encourage you to continue to keep putting Jesus first. And the sky's the limit for you, young lady. Just just continue putting Christ first, and, and uh, I just pray that God continues to use you in special and mighty ways. I admire you, and I, I thank you for being here, and I pray that you have a safe trip back, and I hope you come back to see us, okay? And uh, so, But thank you once again. I'm going to ask you if you have your Bibles to turn to Romans chapter 8 and stand with me. We're going to look at verses 5 through 9. We looked at verses 1 through 4 last week. All this involves the gospel. Uh, the book of Romans is a continuation of just explaining the gospel. In chapter 1, Paul talked about how it was his uh, duty and obligation. He was a debtor to the gospel. He said it's the power of God unto salvation. And what Paul does in verses 5 through 9 is he explain, explains the unmistakable differences, now listen to me, between a saved person and a lost person. Unmistakable. Okay. So the points I have all describe the Christian. The very opposite of that describes a lost person. Unmistakable differences. If you're born again, this will happen. If you're lost, this is what your life is like. So these are unmistakable. Notice verse 5. Paul says this. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds. Look at the word set their minds. Very important. On the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Now notice. Two different things. When he talks about death, he not only talks about literally you're spiritually dead, but also eternally that's how your life will end in spiritual death. When he talks about life, he's talking about how God gives you eternal life now, but also gives you eternity to look forward to. Totally different things. And then in verse 7 he says, Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor can it be. Notice, if you're lost, it can't be, Paul says. Your mind can't be subject to the law of God. Lost people do what they do because they're lost is what he's saying. Notice verse 8. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you who are not in the flesh but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ. He is not his. Unmistakable differences. Let's pray. Father we love you. We thank you for your word. Father we thank you for salvation. Uh, Father, we think, Lord, as Mark mentioned, a member of our congregation who, who has served this church faithfully probably visits as many people as, as just about anybody. Harry Johnson went from this life to your presence. Father, we're so thankful for the gospel. Father, I lift Geraldine up to you. Such a good, good, godly woman. I pray that you administer to this family in special ways. Father, for Sharon and Anthony and the rest of their family. But Lord, we rejoice because he's with you. Verse 9 applied to Harry's life. Verse 5 applied to Harry's life. Father, so we thank you for that. Father, what a difference the gospel makes. For anyone listening here in our congregation this morning online, I pray that, Lord, they would understand their unmistakable differences. There are only two types of people on the planet, the saved and the lost. And if we're saved, there are some signs that are unmistakable in our lives. That proved that we're born again. So, Father, we pray that you be honored and glorified in this service today. Father, we want to thank you for America. 
Father, what a, what, we live on the greatest, in the greatest nation on the planet. And I pray that we'd never take our freedoms for granted. And we thank you for the men and women, Lord, who are protecting us, our freedoms throughout the whole world. And Father, we pray for their families as well. And pray that we would never take these times for granted, our times for granted, or our country for granted. Father, we and never take our worship services for granted. Lord, there are places on the planet where men and women would love to be able to gather on a Sunday in a building, and they can't because they don't have the freedoms we do. And Lord, I pray that we'd not be apathetic about our love for our country and for our Lord, but Lord, I pray that we would be thankful for it. In Jesus' name I pray, and all of God's people said together, amen. Thank you, you may be seated. Listen to Stephen Lawson's commentary on these verses in Romans 5 through 9. He says, Romans 8, 5 through 9 makes it very clear that there are only two kinds of people in the world. This passage draws a sharp line of distinction between two classes of people. There are believers and unbelievers. According to this passage, there are those who have been justified and those who are condemned. There are those who are according to the flesh, who, who live according to the flesh, and those who live according to the spirit. And there are those who have, their, their, have set their mind on the things of the flesh, and those who have set their mind on the things of the spirit. It is a very obvious, it is very obvious there is a black and white distinction in this passage. Everyone who has escaped the condemnation of God has undergone a radical work of God in their person, personal life. Paul lays out a clear contrast so that there's no confusion for his readers. There is a back and forth in these verses between the two classes. There is, a clear, there is clearly not a third or fourth class, but only two. The first half of verse 5 refers to unbelievers. The second half of verse 5 refers to believers. The first half of verse 6 refers to unbelievers. The second half of verse 6 refers to believers. Verses 7 and 8 refers to unbelievers and verse 9 to believers. The reason that Paul stresses this in the middle of his teaching on sanctification is for us to understand that every true believer is in the Spirit, is indwelt by the Spirit, and is living according to the Spirit and has set his mind on the things of the Spirit. These things are categorically true. So what are the signs of a true work of God in my life. And the first one is this. I am alive if I'm a Christian. Therefore, the opposite of that is a lost person is dead spirits. I'm talking about spiritually speaking. Notice verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the flesh. Those things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, dead. To be spiritually minded is alive. Paul tries to make this stark contrast the unsaved are dead, spiritually speaking. Now listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 2. He says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Spiritually dead persons don't have the power to make themselves alive any more than a physically dead person, like uh, someone like Lazarus in, in the Bible, has the ability to make themselves physically alive that means that a lost person is dead spiritually now. Think about your life before Christ. I remember trying, we had a family Bible in our house. Now I was lost until I was 20. We had this family Bible. I'd just open it up and try to read it. It meant nothing to me. See, to the, to the spiritual things, to the natural man, they're spiritually discerned, if you will. When I would go to church oftentimes, which I didn't pay attention like I should either, but it sounded like Charlie Brown's teacher talking to me. It made no sense. I just didn't understand. I was spiritually dead. But those who are born again are alive. The Christian is alive. 
Paul is drawing a spiritual contrast between death and life to convince his readers that God is the only one who gives life. Unless God effectively works a divine miracle within a human heart, that person will never bow their knee to confess Christ. And in the Bible, we have three, we have three pictures or three picture metaphors of what being born again is. And they're all, when you think about these three things, if you'll show them on the screen, all these things you can't do yourself. The first picture we have is that of birth in John 3. You remember Nicodemus, when, when, when he came to Jesus at night, and he starts asking Jesus these questions, and Jesus says, unless you're born again, you will not see the kingdom of heaven. Unless you're born again, and Nicodemus is explaining, how, if I'm, how can I be born into my mother's womb again? And Jesus says, you don't understand these things because you're not of the kingdom. When, when Nicodemus asks those questions about new birth, Jesus is saying, you're, you're really just uh, acknowledging your loss because you don't even understand what I'm talking about. A birth, to give birth, God must give us a spiritual birth. This is a birth you cannot accomplish. You can't. Notice the second one is a creation. Notice Genesis 1.1 says this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It was not here. God created it. Creation. The same word Paul uses in 2 Corinthians 5.17 to talk about your salvation. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. This is the power of salvation, creation power. This is what God does in your life. You're a new creation. Just as God created the world, when he saves you, you're a new creation. And then the third picture we have is that of a resurrection. To be spiritually dead. A person is spiritually dead, and God raises that spiritually dead person to life. That is supernatural. That, these things you can't do. You can't give birth to yourself. You can't create nothing, and you cannot resurrect your spiritually dead self. And that's what Paul is saying, a spiritually born-again person, that person is alive. A lost person is spiritually dead until God saves them. The second thing is this, my mind is set on spiritual things. Notice the verse on the screen, Paul makes this statement, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit literally set their minds on the things of the Spirit. So a lost person's mind is set. Now notice, the, listen to this commentary. The phrase, set their minds, is one word in the Greek. It means to be absorbed with something, to focus sharply on something. It's not just when it's talking about the flesh, just occasionally glancing at fleshly things, but living life with their minds set on the things of the flesh. Their whole life revolves around living for the things of the world. This describes every unconverted person in the world. They live according to their flesh because their minds are set on the things of the flesh. And he goes on to say this. This mindset is impossible for a true believer and the complete opposite of a Christian. Why? Notice what he says. But those who live according to the Spirit, basically what he says, set their mind on the things of the Spirit. This is not something you work up to. This is something that automatically happens if you're born again. Your mind is set on the things of the Spirit. Your mind changes. It is set. You're absorbed with. You're bent in your life. And your will is turned. Your nature has been changed so that your mind is set on the things of the Spirit. John MacArthur put it this way. He says this. It's a fact. Notice it's not a command. It's not a request in verse 5. It's a fact. You don't walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. When you're a Christian, you're different. It's not something you try to do. It's something that automatically happens. Your mind changes and your mind is set. 
Those who are according, live according to the Spirit or set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Here's the expansion, John MacArthur says. You walk according to the Spirit because your mind is set according to the Spirit. You think differently, so you act differently. This, not again, is a request, not a command. It is a fact. The, your life will change. Your direction will change. Your disposition will change. Your bent will change. Your behavior will change. Your affections will change. Everything will change everything, according to the Bible, if you're born again. Your mind is set not on the things of the flesh. It's set on the things of the Spirit. It's basically, what that involves is it involves two things. Notice in this passage, the law of God and the will of God. And when you see the law of God here, he's talking about the moral law of God. That's why David said this, Oh, how I love your law. Your law is my delight. See, a person who has their mind set on the flesh don't care really about the moral law for the most part. A spiritually minded person does. That's why your, your life changes. Jesus said this, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. John said this, after he got off the Isle of Patmos, he was in his 90s. He said this, now, by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. A person whose mind is set on the flesh, number one, doesn't care about his commandments, and number two, they sure don't keep them. And then number, in verse 4, he says, He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought also to walk just as he walked. Notice in verse, or 1 John 3, John says this again. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him. He cannot sin because he's been born of God. How many of you sinned last week? I know I did. I didn't make a list of them, but I did. So what's John talking about? Listen, the word phrase does not sin is in the present tense. It means a habitual course of continual action. It is not your lifestyle anymore. If you are what you were, then you ain't. Spiritually speaking, if you are at this moment in your life as a Christian, what you were before, then I can tell you on the authority of God's word, you ain't his. Because what he says is you will, you will, it's a fact of, of God's law. It's a principle, as we talked about last week, you will seek to desire, your desire will be to live according to his law. That will be your desire. Before I met Christ, that was not my desire at all. Now, do we all fall short? Do we all fail at times? Yes, but it's not your ongoing lifestyle. That's why David could say this, I love your law. John goes on to say this in, in verse 6 of 1 John 3, whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him or known him. That's what John said. If your ongoing lifestyle is still set on the things of the flesh, then according to God's word, you're not born again. In verse 18 of chapter 5, John says, We know that whoever is born of God does not sin. There again, that is in the present tense. It's a not a habitual course of continual action. It is not. So you will have your mind set on the law of God, and you will have your mind set on the will of God. Listen to what Paul said to the church at Corinth. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. There is that word for resurrection. You've been resurrected spiritually. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated, Seated at the right hand, set your mind, same word here, on things above, not on earthly things, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Before you came to know Christ, now I got saved when I was 20. I didn't get saved like when I was six, all right? But when you, when you came to know Christ, before you came to know Christ, how much of God's will did you even care about? I cared about none of it. 
Not one iota, but after the Lord saved me, listen, I had to ask my question, myself this question. If God asked me to do this, what is my response? And you know what I know now because my mind is set? Before God asked me the question, my answer is yes. Yes. Whatever it is. God, according to your will, as a Christian, if my mind is set on the things of the Spirit, then my, my answer to you before you even ask the question is yes. Yes. Now, let me ask you this question. How much of God's will for your life have you said yes to? How much of God's will for your life are you saying yes to right now? How much, how much of God's will? What is God asking you to do right now and what has been your answer? If your mind is set on the spirit, according to verse 5 and verse 6, your answer is already yes before he asks you that question. See, people whose minds are set on the flesh do not care about the law of God. They do not care about the will of God. And then the third thing is this, and we've talked about this before. I am at peace with God and I have the peace of God. Notice verse 6. Paul says this, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So you have peace with God, Paul said in Romans 5.1, and we, we, I preached this about four, months, four weeks ago, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through Christ Jesus because Christ purchased our peace. Colossians 1.20 says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile, that means bring peace, to himself all things, whether things on the earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross, you have peace with God. There's nothing greater than having peace with God. Before I was a Christian and I was under conviction, I never felt at peace with the Lord ever, ever. It's like there was this uneasiness in my soul all the time. When invitations were given in church, I always felt this uneasiness. Are you at peace with God? No, I'm not at peace with God. But as a Christian, I am at peace with God. And not only that, but I can experience the peace of God. And that's what verse 6 is talking about. It's, it's a peace, not just peace with God, but what a Christian has that a lost person don't have is they have peace, the peace of God. Paul said to, in 2 Thessalonians 3.16, Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace always in every way. The Lord be with you all. That word for peace means an inner calmness. It's stress-free. It's a stillness in the soul. It's a gift of Christ for his children. It conveys a sense of inner rest, well-being, and harmony. Peace of God during the storms of life. Isn't that amazing? The world can't give it to you. A doctor can't prescribe it. And you can't work out enough to earn it. It's something that God gives as a gift. Not just peace with God, but the peace of God. You know what the opposite of peace is this? Worry. And you know what I found out? That most worry in a Christian's life is unnecessary. Don't you? How do you figure that out? I, I'll tell you how I proved this to some kids at South Mountain Camp. Whenever I was a chaperone, and I'm the worst chaperone, that's why I don't go on trips anymore, second through sixth graders were at South Mountain Camp, right? And they kept, on Sunday, they kept saying, Preacher, you're going to tell us ghost stories. And I said, you can't handle them. You're just not, you're not emotionally intellectually ready for my ghost stories while well, the young girls second grade girls in this church started talking junk to the preacher i said tonight i'll tell you a ghost story so we're sitting in this this double wide south mountain camp all the lights are off and i put a flashlight to my face and i said what i'm about to tell you is a true story well they're giving me a hard time second grade girls right so i told them about the sandman 
I said, tonight the Sandman will come and you'll see his eyes and there's nothing I can do about it or the chaperones can do about it. And I just wish you the best. And that's all I said. Well, all those second grade girls, little second grade girls, you're the worst ghost storyteller ever. You're, you're just, that wasn't scary. And I said, I forgot to mention one thing. You know it's going to be you because there's going to be an X on your bed. Well, the boys are downstairs. The girls are upstairs. By the time I got to that bottom step, I heard screaming like I had never heard before because two of those second grade girls had X's on their beds. How I got there, I don't know, but they were there. The female chaperone, who made fun of my ghost story as well, said, you got to come up here and tell these girls that this is fake. I said, have a good night. And I cut my light off. <laughs> I don't care. Good luck with them. So here's what I do. They keep screaming. They keep screaming. So I had to go up there and I had to tell them, look, this is fake. Your worry is what? It's unnecessary. Okay? It is unnecessary. Now, in your life, you know what Jesus said? Now, this is the difference between a saved person and a lost person. He said, therefore, don't worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow, worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of his own, don't it? Most of the things you worry about are so unnecessary. One, one Christian scholar said, we find that most people worry unnecessary. Statistics show that 40% of people worry over things that don't happen. 30% of people worry over the past that can't be changed. 12% worry about untrue criticisms. 10% of the people worry about health issues, which gets worse with worry. And only 8% worry about real problems. Chuck Swindoll said, worry often gives a small thing a big shadow, but Christians have peace with God, and only Christians can have the peace of God. Only, it's a gift that's been given to God's children. And verse 6 says this, it says, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is not only just life, but it's life and peace. What a, what a tremendous thing that God has given us. And then the final thing is this, the stark contrast at death because heaven is my home. Now think about this. Look at verse 6 again. For to be carnally minded is death. Listen to this commentary I read. Paul says the mind set on the flesh is death. He's re really referring to the outcome of this life, which is eternal death, the second death. Paul previously wrote, he said, Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves for the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death, same word, or of obedience resulting in righteousness. That's Romans 6.16. 6, this clearly states that sin results in death. Likewise, the life that lives in the realm of sin results in death. You're already in a spiritual state of death before you're converted. So it's really like you're going from death to the next death, almost like a corpse going to the grave. In Romans 6.21, Paul says, Therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things which you were, you're now ashamed of? For the outcome of those things is death. And then in Romans 6.23, he says, For the wages of sin is death. Verse 16 said the result is death. Verse 21 says the outcome is death. And verse 23 says the wages of sin is death. That this is saying the same thing three different ways in three different verses. This does not refer to physical death, but spiritual death. This is eternal death, eternal destruction, eternal condemnation. The one whose mindset is according to the flesh will end up in eternal death. Jesus said this, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but after that can do no more. But I'll show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after the body has been destroyed has authority to throw into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. The difference between a saved person and a lost person is the difference between death and life. Notice how Jesus describes hell. He describes it in great detail. He says, hell is a place of eternal torment, Luke 16, 23, of unquenchable fire in Mark 9, 43, 
where the worm does not die, Mark 9, 48, where people will gnash their teeth in anguish and regret, Matthew 13, 42. And he says it's a place from which there's no return, even to warn your loved ones in Luke 16, 9 through 31. He calls it a place of outer darkness. He compared it to a garbage dump. The three ways he primarily described hell as punishment, destruction, and banishment for all time. So when you read verse 6, for to be currently minded is death. That's not just talking about now. That's talking about for eternity. The stark contrast between the saved and the lost. Your salvation matters eternally. Some of us are living on the edge of eternity right now. Some of us are two to three steps away from it. To be carnally minded is death, he says. Punishment, destruction, banishment. To be spiritually minded is life. Notice the word. Eternal life, abundant life. Now but fully realized in heaven. Jesus told the thief on the cross, I assure you today you'll be with me in paradise. Today, what a difference life. In Revelation 22, the Bible talks about a river of life. In Revelation 22, the Bible talks about a tree of life on each side of the river. That word for life, the Jewish people would say this, and I'm not going to, I can't quote the Hebrew word, but they said this is the symbol of life, the highest life, the best life, the greatest joys, the most familiar fulfillment of life. This tree is a symbol of the unbelievable, glorious life that only Christians will have for eternity. Think about that. The book of Proverbs talks about wisdom as a tree of life. What does that mean? It means it's a source of blessing. It doesn't mean a literal tree. It means a source of blessing. Proverbs 11.30 talks about the righteous, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. And what that means is this. You get around a righteous person and the product of their life produces a blessing. Proverbs 13.22 says desire fulfilled is a tree of life. What does that mean? It means when you have something that you desire that you really long for and God fulfills it, life becomes rich, full, and it's a blessing. That's the meaning. The tree of life is talking about this. It is a, going to be a happy place, a place of joy, a place, a place of contentment, a place of blessing that never ends. John MacArthur said this, that inner man is ready for heaven right now. It's just incarcerated in this fallen flesh. So someday when these bodies finally die, our spirit will be released to live forever. And the flesh which so encapsulates us and incapacitates us from fulfilling all the law all the time will be exterminated. And as one commentator put it, the day of our death is far better than the day of our birth. Only for the Christians. This blessed life that we try to have now, but we can't, will be ours forever. When one pastor put it this way, keep this in mind. Your future eternal life is glorious and meaningful. God wanted you to live today with a perspective on that day. No matter how painful life is now for you, it's not forever. No matter how difficult your disability is now, it's not forever. No matter how fresh your sorrow is now, it's not forever. No matter how great your struggle with the world, the flesh, and the devil is now, it is not forever. The only scars we'll see in heaven will be his. Aren't you thankful? The struggle you have now because you're a Christian is not forever. Are you prepared to exit this life and stand before God? Can you honestly say, my mind is set on the spirit? Or could you honestly look at your life and say this? You know what? My mind is set on the flesh. I was asked that question when I was 20. I said, there's nothing spiritual in me. I was honest with myself. Be honest with yourself, whether you're in this auditorium or whether you're watching online. The, the, listen, the differences between a saved person and a lost person are unmistakable. Unmistakable. You can fake it so long. 
And then you honestly have to look in the mirror and say, am I ready to exit this life and stand before God? Some of you have your toes hanging over eternity's edge. You're very close to it. For others of us, it may be a day, a t- two years, three years, four years. Are you ready to meet Jesus? This eternity is forever. That's, there's a place of no return, no escape, no turning back. Once you enter, it's done, and your consciousness will never end. It's either going to be heaven or hell, and God extends salvation. Consider this a great opportunity. Don't waste it. The God of the universe has placed salvation before you because he loves you. The differences between a Christian and a non-Christian are eternal. Notice the verse on the screen. If you'll, verse 9, he says this, But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he's not his. What he's saying is this, once you placed your faith and trust in Jesus, the Holy Spirit, you became a temple of the Holy Spirit. And because of that, the works of God are unmistakable in your life. And I would say this, if, if, if you've been saved for 30 years and your life has never changed, you better check up on your salvation. Paul, Paul would say this, examine yourself to see that you're in Christ. Do it. Do it. Is your mind set on the spirit or is your mind set on the flesh? The differences between the two are unmistakable. Let's pray together. Father, as we come to you in prayer, we want to thank you, Lord, for your word. Father, if there's anyone here today who's never truly placed their faith and trust in you, Father, I pray that you would save them for your honor and for your glory. Lord, give them a new birth. Make them a new creation. Resurrect the spiritually dead for your honor and for your glory. And Father, we thank you, Lord, for the unmistakable differences. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the things that you do in our life. If we're, if we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit, Lord, our minds will be set on the flesh. We'll never be perfect. You never ask us to be perfect. But Lord, your law will be a delight. Your will we will seek to do. Those things will happen Lord, it's a fact. And Father, I pray that you and you alone, Lord, can show a person where they stand eternally. And Father, you and you alone can save. So Father, whether someone's at home, in their car, in the parking lot, in this auditorium, if they're lost, I pray that right now, the Bible says that whosoever calls upon the Lord will be saved. And we pray that you would save for your honor and for your glory. And we thank you, Jesus, for salvation. We thank you for giving us peace. Lord, the hope of heaven. Father, that the fact that you can give us the ability to live according to your word, we praise you for that, and we thank you for that. And Father, we thank you for the freedom that you give us in Christ, and I pray that we would never take that for granted. And we love you today, Father. In Jesus' name I pray, and once again, all of God's people sit together. Amen. Well, God bless you. Thank you so much for being here. And what I'm going to do is, if everybody will stand here, I'll dismiss us, and we're going to start.